I love the lab. I really am impressed with what you guys have done here. And I like the, the vibe is so positive. You mm -hmm. know, when I walked in this, uh, this morning and the other day, it's like upbeat music on people are smiling, you know, uh, getting their ass kicked, their sweat, but it's also, um, <clears throat> it's the, the way you guys built it out. It's like very open and like, I don't know, it's just a calming place to walk into. It's like a positive place to walk into, you know, you're going to work hard, mm -hmm. but, um, I'm stoked with what you guys did. Cause I remember, uh, where you guys were when you started <laughs> and that was also actually really nice. Mm -hmm. Um, when was that? Because I was one of the first in the first tribe of people that tried this, right? Yeah. The first official testing crew you were in with some of the Stone Glacier guys. And we had like Ted Wells and Corey Pearsall. Mm -hmm. And that Spazito was, was in it. Spazito. Yeah. Lyle. Yeah. yeah. Pete, that was pretty hilarious because that was preseason prep 1.0 testing. It was either 16 or 17, 2016 or 17. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. <clears throat> I, I just remember I had never experienced anything like that. You know, my, my workouts to that point had been like, I did obviously a lot of running, a lot of hiking, um, some weights, but nothing that really pushed the boundaries like what I experienced on those days that I came in there. And I just remember leaving being like, I haven't done shit. Can mm -hmm. I cuss on this podcast? Yeah. Okay. okay. I haven't done shit. I have not pushed myself. <laughs> far enough yeah right um i remember like literally almost puking <clears throat> it was so hard class. yeah and then i i look around at guys like you and i go gosh i guess these guys are working way harder than i do because maybe i'm just doing easy stuff and i was mm -hmm. now i know that and then still even to this day i mean that was a long time ago i still have to i'm still slowly pushing myself out of those comfort zones i mean even today doing the workout with sarah and your team <clears throat> there was like I broke several times and I've been working really hard the last six months mm -hmm. on my health and stuff, but I still broke. Like I have a long ways to go. Now I'm 42. So yeah. it's like, you know, I'm not 30 anymore, but um, you guys definitely, the cool thing is, I think is, you know, you have your entry level stuff and then your elite stuff and you got stuff in between. Mm -hmm. and I like dabbling in all that stuff because there's some days I only have 20 minutes and I just want to get my heart rate up. <clears throat> um, and not let let myself slide, being like because I only have a limited amount of time, I could just pass it up. It's like no, there's actually a twenty minute workout on the app, or you yeah. know, I could distill the minimal gear daily down to twenty minutes if I wanted to. Like I just skip the the warm up and the cool down if I only have twenty minutes to get my heart rate up. Yeah, I know that's not good for you, but you can do that. Yeah, um, but just move. I like the uh, <clears throat> the the spectrum. I guess that's what's cool about fitness. I think is you can no matter what level you're at, it, it always can feel hard and challenging and it never gets easy. And you just start getting more work done in the same amount of time. But the feeling you get is kind of the same as those first few workouts. But I think the, the endorphins and the mind like body connection of just doing something physical every day is, is pretty phenomenal. Even if you have like, five or 10 minutes just knocking something out. Mm -hmm. And even just going for a walk, I've noticed yeah. changes my mood, you know? Yeah. Bert Soren, when he was talking to some of the SIG guys earlier this year, he I, I don't know if it came from a book or if it is his own philosophy, but there's this concept called the fortress theory. 
And as like a human, you have the ability and the option to build a fortress around your life. And you use the analogy of like you're building a fortress around your mind and body and spirit yourself. And you're doing that by laying a brick wall around you. Mm. And so then it's really helpful because you can think about every decision you make is am I laying a brick or am I knocking a brick off my Mm -hmm. fortress? So it's like I woke up and I had coffee, but then I drank 30 ounces of water, added some electrolytes to that Mm -hmm. to start my day. So I laid a brick and then it's like, well, I stayed up too late. I should have got eight hours of sleep, but I only got five. Mm -hmm. So I knocked a brick off. Mm. But thinking about it in like those really simple terms is so helpful because then you start thinking about like walking by that cake in the office. You're like, yeah, I walked by that three times because I'm I'm just stacking bricks around my life. And I think you can do the same thing with physical fitness where it's like it's Sunday afternoon and you haven't done anything physical yet. It's like I'm going to go downstairs and knock out 50 Mm pull-ups. And so, yeah, I just added a brick. Mm. But every time you add that brick, not it's so much more than the physical. Because, like the pull up, pull up example on a Sunday afternoon, like if you're at home struggling with energy and engagement with your kids, if you go downstairs and knock out like fifty pull ups, like your whole afternoon is different. Mm-hmm. You're like a whole different father mm-hmm. than if you wouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. So the the physical and mind connection is so wild. It's really crazy. I mean, I, I heard someone say, uh, "Our body. I mean, our body is our mind, and our mind is our body. There, there's no real distinction between the two, other than the labels we put on. I mean, they're they're connected, right? Yeah. I noticed it so much because I've always struggled with anxiety. Yeah. And I, um, I heard Rogan say one time that if he gets his full workout in, he's not he's not a real anxious person, but um, if he gets his full workout in. He almost feels zero anxiety. Like, it's just like, there's nothing that could touch me right now. I feel mm-hmm. great, right? I notice the same thing. Like, if I like I live in Oregon, so it's rainy and gray, and I work alone often. So sometimes I struggle a little bit, like, God, I just kind of feel bleh. But if I push myself to, like, do something hard, whether that's physically or mentally, it could just be completing that work project that's been sitting on my list for a month that's really hard. Like, there's some days I've been doing this lately for my mind. I will choose a day in the week where I only work on things I've been putting off. Yeah, I can't work on anything sexy. Nothing right. I want to do really. Like uh, last week, I like worked on taxes and like admin stuff, paperwork, the things I absolutely hate. And I did it. And when you get done doing it, you feel. You remember when you used to get your homework done in high school? I don't. I oh, didn't yeah. do homework a lot, but yeah. when I did do it, that's you're, you feel like oh, you're fired up. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't that bad, right? Yeah. It's like a hump. That your mind makes to be bigger than it actually is, so that those days where I pick those hard things, whether that's physically or mentally, um, I feel like grounded, and I am a better person to my family. I'm not as irritable. Mm-hmm. Um, I sleep better at night. Um, I feel like I've accomplished something. Jocko Willink on his on a clip I saw yesterday said, um, "You know, every day you start at zero. It doesn't matter how far you ran yesterday, what work you got done, what company you sold. Every day you start back at zero. Mm-hmm. And 
it's he's always like really black and white, right? Like it's it's probably not always true. Like you you know your past accomplishments do mean something, but the point is taken, meaning that every day we have to reset and do hard things and get over that artificial hump and conquer your inner bitch, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Whether that's the work project you've been procrastinating or you know that business that you want to start or the hard conversation that you've been wanting to have with a coworker or your 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 spouse, whatever it is that you're like you're you're fearing and you're put procrastinating about the workout cold plunge by the way if you guys for those that are watching video right now you can see dustin physically trembling right now it's not because he's scared of me okay it's because we just did seven minutes of cold plunge collectively and we're both still shivering i can't stop shaking. <laughs> yeah my leg is just cannot stop shaking what do you think of that protocol uh well, I have nothing to compare it to because that was the first time I've ever done an official cold plunge. I've dove in cold lakes and stuff. It actually, it was really hard, mm -hmm. right? But again, my, I think my mind created something scarier than it actually was. Like, you're not going to die, most likely, you know? And uh, it was really hard, but not so hard to where it's like, I don't want to do it again now. Yeah. Like, and that's what I found with cold showers too. Cause I've done a lot of those. It's like, I kind of got addicted to them when I was doing them every day. I actually came to the point where I actually looked forward to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that endorphin rush and then just going through something hard where you get super addicted to that process. Mm -hmm. And it makes everything else seem easier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the beauty of cold plunging. I think is I know that there's physical recovery benefits, but for me, I think the thing that I'm addicted to is, you just look at that tank and you do not want to get in that thing and you just got to... It's legitimately the last thing on the planet Earth that you want to do. When I walked out there and I saw those chunks of ice, <laughs> I'm like, Dustin, fuck this. No way am I getting in that thing. And it took me a few seconds. I delayed. Yeah. But I jumped in and the middle three minutes. So we did, th just for the folks, we did three minutes in, right? Yeah. Hot shower. So you're not shivering anymore. And then you get back in for three minutes, hot shower, and then back in for one minute, and then no hot shower. So you yeah, end it's cold. cold. Mm -hmm. The middle three minutes <laughs> was like eternity. Do you want to know something funny that happened to me what? during the middle three minutes? It might, maybe it was during the last minute. One of the two times when my mind was like, all it could think about was warm places. I saw a pigeon <laughs> fly into its nest under a, a rafter. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, that pigeon's going to be in a warm nest. <laughs> You're euphoric. In Dude, the I was. I yeah. was like, why am I thinking about that? That's so weird. It was almost like a psychedelic experience that I was thinking about the warm bird nest. Right? <laughs> There's a pigeon on a building. <laughs> I'm like, that pigeon's so much more comfortable than me right now. You can get euphoric on those plunges for sure. And I think a lot of that is the breathing and just mm. calming yourself down through those stressful situations. Yeah, the, the breathing helps a lot. I noticed during that middle three minutes is the breathe, it gets harder when you're shivering a lot. Those breaths are harder to actually execute on. Mm. You know, your like chin is, um, and then Weston said, because I started out with like the, yeah, whatever they call Switch that. Switch to box. Yeah, yeah, and then box, which where you hold it in. Yeah. Those were easier once I started shivering a lot. Mm -hmm. the, the, what's the first one called? The first one's just nose breathing. Okay. So yeah. nose breathing is really hard for me when I'm shivering really bad. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just, just yeah. Yeah. But the, uh, the box breathing, once I was in there that, and that really helped. And you can tell the difference 
like the first 20 seconds when your body's like, get out, get mm-hmm. out right now. You're going to die. The fight or flight. Mm-hmm. And then you you feel your um, your heart rate come down a little bit and your breath gets a little bit more under control. Then you're like, I got this. I can do this. You know, it sucks, but yeah. I can do this. But then you feel that thermal layer come on a little bit. And it's like, I don't know, it might be like a half a degree better or a degree. Like your body gets a little bit more used to the water. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I got this. But at that that middle three minutes, I had to push to the buzzer. Yeah. That it, middle one hurt. <laughs> the, the, the last one minute sucked too, but it was it was short. So yeah, you just it wasn't know too it's bad. one minute. Dude, doing five, six minutes in there at a time, that's that's got to be rough. Yeah, I think that the the concept of cold plunging and how you can apply that to all other areas of your life is pretty mm. cool. It's like a difficult conversation at work. You know it's going to – you think in your head it's going to suck, mm-hmm. but it's exactly like a cold plunge. Like just get in there, just get it done. Mm-hmm. Like hard conversations are only hard until you have them. Mm-hmm. And then – you dive in and it's not that bad and great things come out of it. And then just breathing through like those really stressful situations mm-hmm. in life. Like, yeah. It's super applicable. And I think it's a lot like like physical fitness and mental toughness. They only work if you're training them all the time. Mm. So some of the most mentally tough people in the world, like let's say let's say someone was extremely mentally tough through a special operations career. They can't just get out of that career and not do hard things for 10 years and still be mentally tough because it's it's just like a muscle. Like they have to exercise be, it. They have to be working on those things, focusing on those things. And so a cold plunge is a really good, easy, efficient way to just do something hard every day. My dad told me something one time that really resonated with me when I was having trouble at work. Like there was those hard, a lot of hard conversations to have. Mm-hmm. And he said, when you feel like running from something, run towards it. Yeah. You know, and it, it, when you feel like your mind wants to run away from something, because it's fear, it's fear. And fear always makes things feel worse than they are. Mm-hmm. And coming from a, you know, I guess I have 17 years in the professional business world now, and there's hundreds of conversations that you have to have. If you're going to choose, if you're going to work in this world, and um, I guess, and especially in entrepreneurial world or you own a business or whatever, you can't avoid conflict, right? Mm-hmm. I hate conflict. It stresses me out. It wears me out. It drains me. So every time, like there's that hard conversation that I got to have, I have to, my body and my brain are like, run away from it. It'll go away. You don't have to deal with this. And then I go, nope. I remember what my dad told me, run towards it. Or, and then he has also spun it a different way. Whereas if someone's looking for you, look for them. Mm-hmm. Just so, address it. Yeah, just just nip it in the bud. And what I've found is, I can say a hundred percent of those conversations I've survived, right? For sure. Ninety nine point nine percent of them weren't even that bad. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, that's what I've found with your spouse too. Like you get a, you get in a little tissy or whatever. You're like, oh, I don't want to go resolve this. Can we just forget about it? But mm-hmm. you're like, no, we better talk about it. Just figure it out. It's never as bad as it seems, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. I think that's part of the point other than just longevity and physical health and mental health in the present. Um, it's doing these hard things so you can go back into the battle of life and not be so scared. I feel like a lot of people are scared. Mm -hmm. They won't admit it, 
because they, they don't want to come off weak. Yeah. But, and that fear comes off as insecurity, ego, mm-hmm. um, all the bad personality traits of humans comes out when people are scared. Yeah. And the people, you know this, because you've met a lot of Navy SEALs and Special Forces and people that are very mentally tough, you'll notice one thing about almost all of them. They're pretty quiet mm-hmm. and confident. Yeah. It's yeah. Because, and it's not because they're not scared, because everybody has fear, but the definition of bravery is doing something even when you're scared, right? And when you become more brave, like those people are, um, you know, you and I have never had to dodge bullets. That's, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, give me cold plunges. I, I don't want to do that. I'm, and I'm, I'm happy. I'm proud of the people that do that. And obviously, um, but they've, it's not like they're not scared of getting shot at, but they've found a way to conquer their fears and move, walk towards them. Therefore, I think it makes them calm in the rest of life when little things are stressing us out. Ah, they threw 2% milk in my milk, my coffee instead of almond milk. I'm stressed. You know, you get stressed out about the stupidest shit. Yeah. And these guys are like, dude, go to Bud's. Yeah. And tell me about your almond milk, you know, or go to Afghanistan or Iraq. Yeah. And the best of the best definitely from what I've seen are so humble and such lifelong learners, like where they're using every day as an experience to just learn more knowledge and sharpen their skills. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is, is really the opposite of insecurities. Cause if they have like insecurities, they're, they're willing to work on them and talk about them. Mm -hmm. And that seems to, to battle all that, that arrogance and ego mm-hmm. at the like best of the best level. Yeah. I mean, do you agree with me that most of those guys are quiet, confident and oh, yeah. like humble and curious? Mm-hmm. Curiosity is one of those traits that to me, that's a great sign of integrity because that means that you're not like, like I'll, uh, if you listen to Joe Rogan's podcast, for example, like one of the most curious human beings on the planet, but also one of the most successful podcasters and interviewers ever. Yeah. Right. He has every right to have an ego or to not be curious about anything. He's talked to the most interesting people in the world multiple times. Super curious. But every time you're like, dude, he is so curious. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's a good sign. That means he doesn't think he knows everything. In fact, he, he's like, I don't know shit. I'm an idiot, right? Mm-hmm. And I think uh, people that are confident and that have conquered fears over and over and over again and aren't driven by that have those traits. Yeah, yeah, and there's definitely a trait of like, there's no failure. Everything is just a chance to learn. Mm-hmm. But they're going to test and try everything and learn from as many people as possible. Yes. Which is awesome. Yeah, uh, opening your arms to failure takes a lot of, um, it takes a lot of, I don't know, like many things, confidence. Uh, but that's a common trait too. It's like being totally okay. My wife and I talk about this all the time because she was she was raised in a household where you 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 just you don't talk about things. you don't you don't ever show weakness you can't show weakness right and um, since we've been together I've always been I mean I have a podcast I sing songs in front of people like I I'm totally okay and I I know for a 100 percent sure that I'm going to say stupid things I'm going to miss notes I'm going to miss elk mm-hmm. like there's lots of things people could critique me about and that I'm going to f- truly fail. But I also have the confidence and the, 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 the belief in myself that that's okay. I'm, I'm totally okay with that. In fact, I like it. Yeah. I like coming and learning new things and being open and not... Dude, I, I'm a white belt in jiu-jitsu. I get choked out 
two, three times a week, multiple <laughs> times, seconds from death, you know? And I like that, but I think that takes a mind shift because if you're one of those people that just really has to be the alpha in the room and know everything, you're always the one that thinks they're the best hunter or whatever. To me, that screams that you're scared shitless mm-hmm. and that you're insecure. And it might be something you want to explore if you want to get better. Maybe there's a lot of people that don't. Yeah. But it, it might be something you want to think about a little bit because if you meet the people that truly are great, they don't generally speaking act like that. Unless they're trying to sell a fight or something on like the UFC, right? Like some That's of those guys. That's part of it. Right. Yeah. That's part of the game. But if you actually met them in person, I don't think they're like that in person. Uh, for sure. I think that the concept of life is so much bigger than one event. It's so much bigger than, than one hunt or one marathon or, or one trophy bowl. It's like the, the people that have battled a lot of those selfish ambitions and pride and realize that, that life's this huge journey and it's going to be a lot more than about hunting. And it's going to be a lot more than just this one thing I did one time. I think the people that have wrapped their minds around that, they seem to be a lot happier, a lot more secure and willing to to learn and try new things and not not putting their identity behind one sport or one activity. Mm-hmm. Their identity is much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Their, their identity is rooted in like who they are as a father or who they are mm-hmm. as a husband. It's not rooted in, you know, like how last hunting season went mm-hmm. last fall, which is- Yeah, that one's pretty empty. That's mm-hmm. a tough one because and I, I've seen I've gone through this, right? See a lot of people that just base their whole life on their the score of the last bull they killed or the last buck they killed and they walk around with their photo albums and they're like, Yeah, mine was three seventy one. What was yours? you know? And that's cool. It's a good high. I love we all like shooting the big animal, right? But it wears off and when my grandfather died, he had an entire shop of mounted elk and mule deer, huge mule deer, moose, all the things, right? And one of the things that I noticed when he passed away, he was 90-something, incredible steelhead fisherman, had all, he had trophies all over his wall, remarkable outdoorsman. I will always remember that, but do you know who won't? Everybody else. Mm-hmm. And do you know where those heads are now? We didn't have room for them. They got sold to like wedding venues and stuff. My point is, is all these things we put value on, and they are valuable. I love looking at my heads. I was, I got the full story on this elk when we yep, walked in. Yeah. But the reality is, is all these things are going to collect dust and go in a storage unit someday, and no one's going to remember it. So you have to find value past that. You mm-hmm. can't. I mean, you can. You can base your life upon that. I think it's shallow. I think it's annoying. Um. And uh. But there's a lot of people that do it. Fine. Do whatever you want. It's a free country. But if you actually want to find something that's fulfilling, dig a little deeper and and don't base your life on those surface level things. They're just additions to that. They're like a frosting on the cake. I love staring at my heads during the day. But if I had to trade like my kid's health or anything for not one more day in the Elk Mountains, it's an obvious choice. Yeah. Right? So all of these things are 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 just uh they're a blessing to be able to do, but Man, or another example is like ladder climbing in corporate America or basing your whole identity on where you work. So temporary, yeah. It is, I and I, I hit a huge wall when I left Sitka gear. 
because I was there 11 years. I was there from the beginning to, you know, five years ago. And because of how much time and energy it took to build that brand, and there was just a few of us that did it, when I left for three years, I was in a real state of depression. And it wasn't by fault of the brand or the business, had nothing to do with it. What had to do with it was, is who am I if I'm not David Brinker at Sitka Gear Mm -hmm. to myself? I didn't know who the fuck I was. I didn't know what I did. What do I do if I'm not the marketing director? You know, it just becomes so deeply ingrained in you. And it's something all entrepreneurs, including you guys, everybody has to be very, very careful of because someday you're not going to be Dustin at Mountain Tough, you know, or whatever you're doing, you know, you get acquired, you, whatever happens, right? Um, And that's when those deeper meanings come into play. It's like, well, no, it's like, I'm going to be okay. That sucked, but I'm going to be okay because I'm David Brinker, father of three, husband, you know, XYZ, ABC. I'm not David Brinker, the marketing director. That is simply a feature of my life. It's not the whole thing, Mm -hmm. right? And I can reinvent myself. You know, I'm 42 years old. I'm doing a jujitsu tournament in a, <laughs> a month. Dude, I didn't even wrestle in high school. It's so awesome. And I'm, you know, I, I'm going to try to win, but I'll, I'll probably get my ass kicked a couple times, right? And I'm okay with that. I'm, I, I, I love novelty and adventure. Like, I feel like, especially in the hunting space, a lot of us hunters don't realize how much we value adventure. And like, because almost all of us are like, what's over that next hill? Yeah. What's in that unit? Oh, I'd love to hunt that state. It's like where they're they're all elk in every one of those states. Why do you want to hunt that next state? Adventure. Yeah. Something different. You want to go somewhere new, right? Mm. And so if we just take that same mentality and apply it to our life, adventure literally means something new. It means it means doing something that's scary out of your comfort zone, somewhere you've never been, somewhere that's full of uncertainty and gray area, somewhere that you don't know the outcome. That's adventure. So if you find yourself always like, nope, this is what I do with my life, A, B, C, X, Y, Z from eight to five, that's fine. But just remember that in an instant that can change and you're going to have to figure out who you are at a deeper, deeper level, right? Mm-hmm. I, I had to and it sucked. It really sucked. And you've been pretty vocal about depression in your experience with it and helping other guys talk about it and be open about it and get through it. Did depression for you manifest through that Sika experience, or did you see signs of it earlier on in your childhood? And then what what were some keys that helped you get out of it or manage it? Um, okay, so childhood, um, teen years were were I, I was a train wreck. I was probably drunk four or five times a week starting at fifteen years old. I started chewing tobacco when I was fourteen like every rural kid, you know, like in the weekends, we'd drive on the mountains, start a bonfire and start drinking Coors Lights until four in the morning. And we do that three, four, five nights a week. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that by nature of that, I didn't have great relationships. I struggled in school. Um, obviously now I'm looking back, God, what a physical health train wreck. Right. So I did feel a lot of depression. I had suicidal thoughts. I remember writing letters like suicide letters. Um, and uh, anxiety, though, predates that. I've always had an edge. I've always felt anxiety. Um, and I think I got it from my mom. My mom's the same way. It's like general anxiety disorder. It's just this, you, you basically always have a state of like an edge on you where something's yeah. going to go wrong. Yeah. 
Um, most of the time, totally irrational fears. Um, anyways, fast forward to leaving Sitka, which was one of the greatest experiences of my life and um, a tremendous blessing, especially looking back on how much I trashed my, my mind and my body. And I, did, I got a 1.8 in high school. Crazy. Um, all of a sudden, I'm working for the, a world-class brand. I'm like one of the top dogs doing all these things, traveling the world. And I got really high on that. And when I left, it was like 747 headed straight to the ground. Crash. Yep. And um, no, it was not. And it wasn't because of Sitka. Sure, there was problems at Sitka when I was there. Mm -hmm. um, and I was ready to leave. But it wasn't that. It was, it was that identity issue. And so what happened was is I went through about three years of pretty heavy depression. Um, suicidal thoughts, uh, extreme anxiety to the point where I was getting rashes and crazy. Um, I, I even at one point before I left Sitka, I went through alopecia, which is where I lost my entire beard. It looked like I had leprosy. Just um, like a rash. No, no, no. Thing. Like your bear, your, your, your hair falls out in like little spots. I had dots all stress over. and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, uh, so to address the second part of your question, what did I do about it? Well, the first thing I had to do, part of it, a lot of the depression post-Sitka was situational depression is what it's called. It's like, it's there for a reason. You're, when you completely uproot your life, you're going to feel down. It's hard. Plus, if you think about, like, I had a fairly secure job at a world-class company, right? Mm -hmm. Living in one of the best places on earth, Bozeman, Montana. I made the decision to start something totally new, and move back to Oregon with my family. So I'm uprooting my kids and my wife again, moving back to Oregon, leaving a world-class brand to start something that's not even only uncertain. It's like, it's nothing. It's a zero, right? Yeah, no income, nothing. And so, and then when you add that on top of the, the identity crisis, I was probably drinking too much at the time because I was really stressed out. Um, and just the emotion, like you're breaking up with a white, like some, something that you love, like, I still, when I look at the Sitka logo, love it. You know, I'm proud of what we did. Mm -hmm. But I also know I have nothing to do with it anymore. And that's weird. It's almost like an ex-wife or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's Like you see hard. them with, I've never experienced this, and I hope I never do, but like you see them with a different husband, and you're like, God, oh, that used to be my wife, you know? That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that all paired together was a real train crash for me. And what I did was, well, A, I have to work the situation, right? I got to figure out, I got who am I? What am I going to do? You know, what's the next steps on the professional side, but also on the health side? So I had to get on medication. I got on uh, five grams of Lexapro a day, which took the edge off the anxiety to allow me to make rational decisions. Because if you can't make rational decisions, you're going to make a lot of bad ones. Mm -hmm. you're, if your whole life is driven by high levels of anxiety and fear, you're going to make the best decision for the short term and totally clip yourself at the wrong in the long term. Yeah, you had to calm down. A yes, bit. you got. It's almost like getting your breath in the ice bath. After 20 seconds, that's when you should make decisions, yeah. not the first 20 seconds, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right? And then so once I did that, then it was like, okay, I need to get my professional life in order, which took several years, right? I didn't pay, I didn't get a paycheck after I left Sitka for like 14 months. Um, and luckily, we were able to save prior to do it, but it was a huge leap of faith, incredibly stressful. But the depression for me, Dustin, was more situational. I don't struggle a lot from depression. I do get since, uh, um, uh, seasonal I feel down in the wintertime because it's raining all the time. Yeah. The anxiety is this thing that I have to tame that bitch every day. Yeah. And it's it's really just a few things. Number one, cutting alcohol. 
the most powerful thing I've done for my, for my anxiety. Anybody that has anxiety out there, which is a lot of people that don't talk about it. A lot. Yeah. Cutting alcohol. And it's not the alcohol because alcohol is actually a, a good self-medication tool, right? It's a downer. It's a temporary tool to be, feel good. And that was, I'd have a couple of drinks at night. The problem with alcohol isn't the actual alcohol, although it isn't healthy for you and all those other things. It's that it ruins your sleep. And when you're sleep deprived and you have anxiety, it makes it 10 times worse. So when I cut out alcohol, I sleep better. And when I sleep better, I feel less anxiety. So step one, medication helps, but I'm getting off it this year because I don't want to be putting chemicals in my body with the rest of my life because mm-hmm. I don't feel like I need it. But I'm doing that with a doctor and in a plan. In a plan. Um, number three was getting a hold of my physical body, right? And meaning I was really out of shape, beer gut, you know, um, hunting season I'm in shape, but then the rest of the year I'd go to shit, right? Mm-hmm. So I've been working very hard on that. And and when I, this is a multi, I'm st- I still have, to, this is not something that ever goes, this is just something I got to deal with. Forever. Yeah, it's yeah. not going to go away. Yeah. This is something every day I have to wake up and tame it, right? Um, The second biggest thing though, honestly, was getting my relationships in order. I had to cut people out of my life that were toxic and not reciprocating. Um, I had to focus my friend group down to just a few people, like close friends. Mm-hmm. I went to couples counseling for my marriage, um, got that together, made sure that I was being a better dad. When you're, when you, when you, when you have your shit together with your community, you feel better, you yeah. know, like exercise is great. All these other things are great. But if you're, if your home life sucks, you're fucked. Yeah. It's really like, I don't care how much, how big your, or how your six pack looks and that's a big, cold plunges on TikTok. Yeah. If your marriage is in shambles or your kids won't talk to you, that sucks. That really sucks. And that, like, talk about depression, man. As a father, yeah. you're failing. And honestly, I was failing in many regards. For a lot of years, I was gone. I missed a lot of my kids' childhoods. So I've been trying to sew that up a little bit, you know, and that's helped a lot. I feel like I'm a better man, like, t- in total, but it's a constant project. <laughs> like, some days you wake up, you're like, fuck. Oh, yeah. All this work, and I still feel like a piece of shit, right? Yeah. But in total, I would say, so that was five years ago. In total, and there's lots of other things that I've done, right? But those are the major things, right? So now a little bit more financial security. I know professionally where I'm going. I'm I'm excited. I have purpose uh, when I wake up professionally. Like I work on Peaks Equipment. You know that. And when I was driving to our office yesterday, I had a smile on my face the whole time. You just fired up. Yeah. I, I, I really like what I'm doing. It doesn't mean I like it every day. I love the podcast. I like all the things I'm doing. I, I feel like I have a professional purpose. My community is very is pretty tight. I'm happy with it. We're close to the grandparents. I get to see my. I work with my dad every day. That makes me happy. Um, my physical health has never been better. My mental health has never been better. Haven't had a drink. I'm proud of myself. Um, so it's a project. It's a construction project. And some days the walls fall over, and some days they don't. But there's not one solution to it. Mm-hmm. And if, if you have anxiety like I do, which is like, a, I don't know if it's genetic or what, my doctor said, this is not something that goes away. You just have to figure out a way to cope with it. So for the rest of your life. Yeah. And that's just a different lens at looking at something, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, so I've just figured, but I will say five years later, 90, most days, 85 to 90% reduction in anxiety. Um, my bad days, my low days that I have once or twice a month, probably let's call it like a 40% reduction. It's still a lot better than it was. And I get through it. Um, I have tools to get through it. Taking walks, getting out of the office. 
oftentimes it's caused from overworking because I, I like working. So yeah, I'm sitting focused on, yeah. And I'm sitting in front of a screen for 10 hours, you know, how has your wife handled this whole experience? Just being by your side through this whole process? Well, there's only one, one day where she locked up the guns. So, (laughs) um, she's, Incredibly, I mean, she's really the only reason that I did any of the things to get better because mm-hmm. she was one that called it out. You know, she pulled me aside. She's like, "You need to go see it. Something's got to yeah, change." Yeah, this is this is hard enough situation. I need you with me, right? Uprooting the family, so she was the leader in the whole thing, and she constantly is pushing me and coaching me. And she's the first person I talk to when I'm having a low. Um, and so she's been incredibly supportive. That was oh that was the one thing I didn't mention. I did mention community and family and all that, but for those of us that are lucky to be married to somebody that we have a healthy relationship with, I just can't imagine going through life without that. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how I would cope with that. You know, um, you know, we're best friends. We, I take care of her on her lows, and she takes care of me, and then we're we're like a team. And it's like, so if you're going through something hard, like even if it's not a spouse having that friend that's like we have i feel like these days we all have like artificial friends and then we have real friends right mm-hmm. someone that you can call with and with the gloves off and uh, there's not a lot especially men don't have a lot of that you yeah. know i have men wise i probably have one or two circle gets small mm-hmm. yeah but my circle's way bigger than that when it comes to just more you know just normal everyday hey what's up dude you, yeah you know you wuss what the hell are you doing you yeah. know getting the cold plan but it's like if I have like a real problem, there's just a few. And I think that's pretty normal. I, I read something today. It's like, if you have two or three good friends that you can do that with, you, you're winning. Yeah, you I know? agree. Yeah, you need a couple where you can take the gloves off, be mm-hmm. super transparent, call each other out mm-hmm. on what's going on, just be real and honest with. At the highest level, the thing that's helped me the most, and I think the thing that should really resonate with your audience the most is, I've spent my life recreationally, my number one priority is hunting. My entire life since I was in diapers. Basically all I think about outside of work and family is that. And so, and all the lessons and tools that I've learned from all the freaking miserable struggle, failure fests that I've had my entire life, and we all have, 99% of hunting is failure. Yep. Has given me the tools and the strength to get through just about whatever. Because I don't have a high IQ. I couldn't have gone to Harvard. I got a 1.8. But I know that I'm going to get out of the truck door every morning on my elk hunt, and I'm going to walk forward. And I think legitimately every time I get out of the truck, I'm going to kill a bull, mm-hmm. even though I know the chances are 99% no. Right? Yep. And then when that third of a second comes that I do, the whole trip's a success. And that's how I look at life. That's, that's why I really try to look at life the same way. And all these struggles are stuff. There's part of the trip. Your tent blows over, fall in cold water. There's no elk in your basin. Like this is just all part of the adventure. So You're learning, you know, leave Sitka, get depression, you know, <laughs> move. This is just part of the adventure, man. I'm still going to find that elk. I every day when I wake up, my dad always says, "You're always one phone call away from the best deal of your life." Yeah. Every every second that you live, elk hunting, same thing, right? Your whole trip's a miserable failure. You walk over one ridge, kill the biggest bull of your life. One foot in front of the other. Yep. Get yeah. Open the truck door, get out, and start hiking. Don't sit by the heater. And you've had a pretty cool experience talking about this 
and being open and transparent about this with learning that there's a lot of guys struggling with the same thing and there's a lot more men dealing with anxiety and depression mm. and and reaching out to you and looking for advice and how has that been just seeing that that this is a major problem that needs to be talked about uh a couple times it's been really scary i've had two or three times where people called me where they're about ready to pull the trigger or messaged me excuse me wild how do you deal with that yeah like i don't know how to, i'm not a trained professional mm-hmm. like i don't I don't know how to do that. Twice it was someone that was actually going to do it, and then once it was a girlfriend that found their boyfriend on the floor with a gun. Wild. Yeah. And so that was scary. Um, And basically what I told them is like, look, I'm here to, like, if you need someone to talk to, talk to me, but you need to talk to a professional. Like, Mm -hmm. there's hotlines for this stuff. I can't, I'm not trained for this. I need, you know, let's get you on the phone with a professional right now. But uh, a majority of the time, it's mostly men that reach out to me and they say, hey, I don't want to say anything publicly. And by the way, some of these are celebrities mm-hmm. in our industry. Yeah. You know, not real Hollywood celebrities. But <laughs> yeah. Hunting celebrities, like real, like a couple Influence. A and B listers, right, mm-hmm. that have reached out to me privately and said, hey, I've literally been suicidal. Like last week, I would have been happy if it ended. And I'm like, wow. And he's like, I don't know what to do. My ego won't let me tell anybody about this, right? Um, I don't even know how many messages that I've gotten in the middle, which is like, dude, I, f- I kind of feel like what you, what, you talk, what you talk about really resonates with me. I feel like that. What the fuck is that? Yeah. You know, what is that? I'm a tough guy, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, oftentimes what I tell them is the, f- the first step is you got to talk to your spouse or your best friend or whoever you have as a support system. If they don't know about it, they can't help you. And if they don't help you, then they're not, a great relationship in the first place because they should want the best for you. But it's just like alcoholism. The the number one thing is I think you should proclaim it publicly because it's not nearly as embarrassing as you think it's going to be. And what will happen is almost everybody around you be like, I have the same problems, dude. What are you going to do? What are we going to do? It's like, I don't know what the stats are. I haven't read them lately. But if you have 10 friends, you'd be surprised out of those 10 friends have the same exact problems you do. Yeah, like seven out of 10. Do you know when you were in class in grade school and you had a question, but you're too scared to raise your hand because everybody's going to laugh at you? It's the same thing. And then someone raises their hand, they ask the same question you were going to ask. And, the, and then everybody's like, yeah, I had the same question. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that is like what we're talking about. We live in a society where we stare at screens all day. We don't get enough. Fi- we're not moving our bodies like we did for hundreds of thousands of years. We're, not, we're eating sh- absolute and utter shit. Mm-hmm. all day we're drinking way too much alcohol we're not we don't have good relationships our whole life is like uh, americans is what i can speak to a lot of americans lives are most uh I, the stat was crazy what is it 70 percent of americans are obese yeah think about that they think it's gonna be 60 percent of the youth pretty soon even that's insane and insane. i correct me if i'm wrong on the stat but it was something like that my point is our lives are a train wreck and no wonder we're depressed and anxious, right? Mm. And I think it's just realizing that and everybody, I mean, think about that. If, if my stat's correct, 70% um, is just obese. That's just one factor, right? But usually obesity leads to other things, anxiety, depression, because your, your body isn't healthy, right? Um, 
that means there's a shitload of people. What is there, 330 million Americans? Jeez. <laughs> that means that there's hundreds of millions of people that are struggling with their health, right? So there you go. Anyways, the point is, is generally speaking, you think you're unique. You're not. A lot of the people around you have the same problems, whether they talk about it or not. That's what I learned from that, that experience. I got so many messages from people that never want me to say their names. And still to this day, I've been watching them. They don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not scared to talk about it at all. I really don't care what anybody thinks about me anymore. That's what, Otherwise, I wouldn't do a podcast or sing country songs. or. Yeah. Um, I just want to uh, um, say what I think. And that's what I think. I think you should talk about it. I think you should proclaim it to your close friend group and be open and honest about it because then they can hold you accountable because you'll want to sweep it under the rug when it gets a little better, you know? Yeah. It's like almost like that last day of recovery when you have a cold and you're like, I'm going back to work. Screw it. Or I mean, a flu. You know, I'm going back to work. Fuck it. You yeah. know? And you go back to work and then the flu comes back and it's worse. You're not ready. Yep. Yeah. Someone's got to hold you accountable like my wife does. It's like, you're not going back to work. You need to get back in that bed and finish the job mm-hmm. and then go back to work, right? Yeah. Um, you need that accountability because you'll fall right into you. your comfortable habits, just like an alcoholic or anybody else. You're more comfortable not talking about it and sweeping it under the rug because that's what you've been doing your whole life. And that's part of the problem because then when it boils up, it's really, really bad. Mm-hmm. So it's like what we talked about earlier. If, take a little nip at it of, of it every day. Like put a little demon on the table and just fucking crunch it in the table yeah. every day. Like I did with my taxes and I hate doing taxes. Taxes suck. But it's like one example of like today I'm doing stuff that's challenging for me. So when these demons come up, like the real ones that are actually matter, it's like, no, you bitch. Like today I'm I'm being positive today. I'm getting my workout in today. I'm doing whatever. You know, I'm going elk hunting. Um learning how to fight those little battle the little battles and take little nips at it every day is much better than sweeping it all under the rug and then having to fight the whole war in one moment. That's when you get suicidal. Mm-hmm. Is when it's so overwhelming you feel like there's no way out. There's nothing else you can do. And that's really, really scary. Yeah. I've been there. It's not, it's not fun. It's, it's, and you look back on it and, and you realize it's like, fuck, I'm so glad I didn't do that mm-hmm. because I would have missed so many things and it's not worth it. It's not, there's nothing that bad. There's nothing that bad. Look at the people with gray hair around you that are 70, 80, 90. And look at them and realize that their life was most likely harder than than yours, statistically speaking. And what did they do? They survived. All the stuff. They're going to be okay. Yes. We have one of the best lives in the history of humanity. We're very lucky. So all of these problems are solvable. But you have to be willing to fight those little battles and also have the um, minimize your ego. Like get rid of that thing as much as you can. We all have one. It's like a constant fight. It's like a constant boxing match between your ego and and uh, just realize everybody's going through a bunch of shit. Mm-hmm. And even these perfect Instagram people all around in your life that have these perfect lives with their dog and their perfect house and they're making all this money and they're they have the filters on. Their life's a train wreck just like yours. Yeah. Most likely. They have a shitload of problems. And you can make you have two choices. You can do nothing about your problems. Or you can do something about your problems. It's a pretty easy choice when you boil it down, right? Mm-hmm. So be the person that still has messes, but that's actually proactively grappling them. And you're going to end up better than, than and that's, that's what matters, right? We all want to live as long as possible and hopefully smile more than cry and, you know, but life's messy, dude. It's a, yeah, it's a train wreck. Yeah. We're all in the same train wreck. <laughs> we are, dude. Yeah. It's, 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 it's so funny when you think about how fragile and messy everything we do is. 
Um, COVID proved that, you know, just comp- a little virus that's microscopic completely collapsed our society. Mm-hmm. Life is a fragile thing. I have a friend, not to be a downer, but I have a friend right now who's 43 years old, healthy female with two kids that just found out she has stage four pancreatic cancer. You never know. She's dying. Crazy. There's no cure. It's 98% mortality or something like that. Out of nowhere, she had some back pain. So I have a friend who's going through real bad depression, suicidal thoughts right now. And when I got that news, I texted him and I go, hey, I just wanted to provide an example of you why what you're thinking about is not worth it. Like this person would give anything to live. To live. Mm-hmm. She's going to have probably six, you know, uh, who knows, hopefully a couple years or several years, or maybe she'll get through it. I hope she does. I'm staying in a positive mindset. But she has limited time with her kids, you know? So we are blessed to breathe. Mm-hmm. You know, we're blessed to be miserable in that ice bath. The perspective. Right? Some people got to bathe in shit like that, mm-hmm. right? So just keeping perspective helps a lot, right? Yeah, it's wild. It's a lot like the like the fortress theory we started with. It's just finding a way each day to just build a positive brick, lay a positive brick. And that way when the shit storm does hit, you have all these tools and bricks around your life that you can pull from at different times so that when the major train wreck comes, you have your community you can pull from a little bit, your physical fitness you can pull from a little bit, your adventure, your health. Um, You're kind of building this suite of tools around you that you can rely on on different times. But if you're not laying those bricks every day or finding a way to do that, then when the when the huge storm hits, it, it leaves you in a pretty rough spot. Yeah, and sometimes life altering. Mm-hmm. And they're coming. They're coming for all of us. Yeah, the hits. Are Unfortunately, coming. they yeah. are. They're coming for all of us. Well, dude, I know we got to get you to the airport. Thanks. Yeah, we got to do one more cold plunge before. No, you we're not doing any more cold <laughs> plunges. I'm good. I'm gonna like bundle up on the airplane and just think about that pigeon flying into a warm little nest. The warm <laughs> pigeon. I, I can't believe you it. thought of that, dude. It was like it was so clear to me too. It actually brought me peace for about ten seconds. I didn't. I, I, I'm like, oh, the pretty pigeon flying into a warm nest <laughs> on the side of a building. <laughs> That's cool, weird. Man. Well, thanks so Thank much. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, Thank appreciate you. you.